Welcome back to the CCA California podcast. Good to be here. Good to be with you. My name is Chris, alongside my good friend, Mr. Kevin Nakata. Kevin, another week, man. Yes, we're back, and we have another great guest, and we're going to get some knowledge bombs again. Great show last week. You know, we went through a lot of detailed information and techniques. I'm sure this week with our guests, we're going to learn a lot more and then some. So some good on-the-water experience in this room right now. And I'm just excited to be able to talk about it. So whenever you get a chance. Absolutely. I am fired up for it. But first, before we get started here, guys, go make sure you follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Also, give us a five-star review on the podcast. We see those numbers continue to grow every single week, and we're super, super appreciative. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and for uh, listening to the podcast every single week. Without further ado, we've got Mr. Todd Manser from the Boardroom Sport Fishing. Todd, what's going on, my friend? How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're getting our season started here. I'm excited to come in here and uh, and help support CCA and be with you guys here today and maybe uh, tell some lies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, first off, you've been doing some fishing lately, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. We've been uh, we've been staying kind of busy. You know, it, it dawned to me that. It was spring break, you know, when you get to be a certain age, you forget what's going on in the world. But yeah, it was spring break and all of a sudden the, you know, the boat's running and we're busy and people are wanting to get out. And, uh, we fortunately had, uh, some pretty decent weather and yeah, we spent uh, a better part of, uh, of, of last week and the week before at San Clemente Island. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we're starting to see some, some great improvements and I was starting to see a, a tremendous amount of forage between uh, you know, San Clemente Island, uh, the east end of Catalina, and then uh, starting to see quite a bit of forage uh, all the way into the coastline here. So I, I can just tell you right now, there was there was a lot of anchovy. I saw a lot of sardine, and that stuff below the border it will find this. It's it's gonna ha- it's gonna be fun. So you know, get get your to get the dust off the popper rod. Uh, you know, get yep. ready. Uh, because there's a ton of forage. And so, yeah, we've, we've had some exciting days here. Uh, San Clemente Island's been a lot of fun. And I'll tell you a little bit about what we've been seeing and the improvements we're seeing in the conditions there, if you'd like. Is it, is it yellowtail? Is that what you're saying? So uh, we're, we're only seeing a little bit of yellowtail there right now, but it's a good sign. Uh, there's some stuff up west. And we, the conditions were a little lumpy on the back uh, here the last couple of uh, days that we were there. Uh, but the the... The great sign is in the cove, I did see quite a bit of squid. So uh, we were able to catch as much as we needed to fish with, which was kind of nice without uh, really having to worry about the, you know, the animals that discourage us from, mm-hmm. from being there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Won't mention any sea lion names. <laughs> Those damn animals. Uh, but but uh, yeah, so the, the squid was there. Uh, we, we had really good conditions uh, throughout most of the island there. Uh, uphill current, but clean water. Uh, the calico bass are they're coming alive water temperature uh last the week before last was 61 and then uh wednesday here just a couple days ago i had 64.9 uh i'm clean water the calicos were flipping around everywhere big sheets of bonito so i know that yellowtail's in there uh you know this time of year we 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 anticipate 
uh, you know, a certain amount of our groups want to, they understand that it's the off season, uh, you know, it's, things are transitioning and they, they want to go and catch a lot of fish and, and have a good time. But, you know, sometimes that requires, you know, uh, lowering your standards a little bit. For me, it's not even lowering your standards. It's just, I absolutely love rock fishing. And, uh, for those of you that I, you know, I just really don't care for the rock fishing much. It has been phenomenal this year at San Clemente Island. I can't say the same for, for the coastline right now. And, uh, stop me anytime you want, because I'll, (laughs) I'll talk for this next hour straight by myself. Please do. But, uh, what we're seeing along the beach here still is an elevated amount of pyrosomes. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with what a pyrosome is, it looks, uh, kind of like a floating, uh, sea cucumber with, uh, uh, spikes on them, a kind of, uh, pink, uh, translucent, uh, they're actually a colony of, uh, single cell animals that clone themselves and create this tube looking, uh, creature, uh, that, uh, filtrates nutrition out of the water and, and they are thick. Now they don't have a tail. They can't swim. They're planktonic. And in the masses, uh, they'll, they'll become invasive in certain bodies of water and any species around them will eat them. So bass eat them, rockfish eat them, uh, yellowtail are eating them. Uh, and it, you'll it, almost, if you've caught a fish with a pyrosome digested in their system, it looks like they're trying to digest an orange peel. Right. You know, it's it, a little puffy, bumpy, and yeah, kind yeah. Of orange or pink and, and depends and, on what it is. And so what happens is when we get into, uh, bodies of water that that have had this pyrosome invasion uh we tend to see that lethargic fishery there and at san clemente island we're not seeing that pyrosome like we were last year and i think that's a huge benefit but we're we are still seeing it in some of the uh you know uh fish bellies uh you know and the cod bellies and stuff like that so it's still there but i just don't think it's as abundant uh, maybe conditions have moved it out, but here on on the beach, it's still it's still quite uh, you know uh, bothersome and uh, huge biomass. But San Clemente Island, the rock fishing guys has been absolutely phenomenal, and you can mix it up over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can go try to catch a, a yellow on you know up on the west end on the back, or uh, you know we haven't really seen them on the front yet. Or you can sit on the front, you catch all the bonita you want. Uh, you can catch some really. I got a six six calico the other day. And uh, and I'm a live bait fisherman Mm -hmm. uh, here in Southern California, although I do love fishing the surface iron when things start to really uh, heat up a little bit. But, uh, you know, I I come from a a career of of 120 eyeballs burning the back of my head. So it's always been a bait situation for me. You know, I've I've run sport boats my whole life starting out, uh, you know, as a kid. And so... I, you know, I really still uh, enjoy, you know, fly lining a sardine back and, you know, to the shallows. But, yeah, I got a 6.6 calico the other day. I was really proud to let that fish yeah. go. Wow. Yeah, that was a nice one. You know, we don't, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they see a six-pound calico and it looks like a 10-pound calico. I mean, they're just, mm-hmm. yeah. and they, I, it, they're just so much fun to catch, you know. And I can say my largest calico was 11 pounds, but it was oh, years nice. ago. Yeah, and, and a lot of our you know listeners don't even they won't even know what this means, but we back then fished mostly with brown bait. Mm-hmm. So for bigger calicos, 
because sardines weren't available. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, our forage was much different in the 70s and the 80s and in the early 90s. We, we typically left the dock with anchovies. And the bait boats that fished fished with Lumpara nets rather than with Persane nets. So Persane can close the sack. They can fish in deep water. A Lumpara net, it, 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 you can circle the net, but the net has no bottom. So the Lumpara bait fishermen typically fished in shallower water so that the, the, the bottom of the net could actually kind of drag the bottom a little bit to keep the bait from from getting out. So those Lampara fishermen are really good at knowing their their area because if you snag, you know you're out of business for a couple of days. But because of the the area that they were fishing back then, they would they would catch a lot of brown bait. And brown bait were queen fish and butterfish, right. and so we called them pompano and herring. But they they weren't herring and they weren't pompano. They're, queenfish and butterfish but mm-hmm. man the calicos ate them and when you when you had a guy and you don't see this much anymore you don't see the guys fishing the kelp and you know the guys fishing the spots you know on the party boats with a deckhand up there throwing ones all day long anymore you know it just it, it it's a kind of a you know you, you see the guys on the you know fishing offshore you know keeping ones going but on the beach, it changed. We used to have the guys up there throwing chovies all day, scales everywhere. Everybody, you know, wearing scales on the back of their head. And the guy would find a brown bait in the tank, and that was game on. Mm-hmm. And and so my biggest bass was on a on a brown bait, and that was years ago. I, I'll say this: when the when the cycle changed from anchovies to sardines, it gave the availability and the opportunity for every passenger and every boater that uh, every sport fisherman to catch big bass and and i will say that that has put a little bit of of uh, change in in you know our large bass fishery mm-hmm. uh, because we all now show up with you know for lack of a better word brown bait you know where it yeah. used to be selective you had that big bait mm-hmm. and now it's always available so anyways i'll keep talking let's talk about something <laughs> <new>. <laughs> You know, Todd, one thing that I do want to pick your brain on is San Clemente Island. Over the last couple of years and all that, you know, whenever the sport boats, at least in San Diego, we would go to San Clemente Island or whatnot. I'd say, oh, cool. Okay, whatever. But just in the last couple of weeks and last couple of months, I've kind of looked at the island in a little bit of a different way to where, you know, it's such a diverse place where you could go after the cod, you could go after bass, the yellowtoe, bonies, and even bluefin tuna. It's such a diverse place and a great place to fish, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it sets itself off from our coastline 51 miles here from Dana Point and mm-hmm. 21 miles from Catalina Island. And the way that it exposes itself really does allow it uh, a unique setup for offshore fishing uh, on the in the lee of the island, on the back of the island, east end of the island. Uh, it really sets itself up well for the way the ecosystems are and for the way the upwellings uh, uh, bring nutrients higher in the water column. So, you know, we, we tend to see, you know, our, our pelagic or migratory fish, uh, whether it be uh, bluefin. I mean, you guys probably don't even remember albacore anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was we used about to, this tall. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the, the albies used to. So. Uh, the albacore used to come in and, and we could track them pretty well. I mean, by the time we knew they were going to be within range, most boats started fishing albacore around what we called the dumper. Mm-hmm. And so we, we'd start fishing or if it came along the beaches, you know, we were down on the five, uh, I, I mean the 
the mm-hmm. lower 500 or the 1010 trench, you know, depending on kind of what angle it, it came in. And that stuff would come in and it hit the 60 and then it would, you know, it'd come up and, and hit the butterfly and, and, and maybe it kind of maybe, you know, come in a little bit inside, but most of the time that albacore would, would tend to stay more to the outside and it would come up towards the 43 and then get in the San Clemente Island Canyon and would shoot up the canyon. And then you've got all these, these, these great upwellings and ecosystems there off the east end of the island that would hold that fish there and you know the bluefin tuna kind of do the same thing you know they they come in there and they find that rich ecosystem you know that bait holds up there for them really well uh and they tend to kind of you know hang in certain spots now the difference between the albacore and the bluefin tuna is that bluefin tuna really loves to hang around the back of the island yeah it really likes it. I mean, you get up off of Eel, you get up off Lost, and I mean, that off the dunes, and and you know, get off the island a few miles, even and, in tight to the yeah, even in tight eighty one. Yeah, yeah really even on the eighty one, it gets in there tight. Yeah. When the albacore would come through here, the albacore would tend to hit the east end of the island. They would they would pile up there, and we'd get a few great days between Pyramid Head. You know, you'd always hear guys talking, oh, yeah, stuff was six off the head, five off the head, four off the head, eight off the head. You know, once it got a, above the 43, it would kind of hang in that zone for a while, and then it would get a tail, and it would just, it would either get out to the tanner, or it would boogie mm-hmm. up to the cross. And so you guys don't remember, you probably never even heard the name <laughs> the cross. So the crosses were zero and zero come together oh. on the west end oh, of okay. San Clemente Island towards Nicholas. And it was just brutal because it was always crappy weather. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but San Clemente Island just, you know, it's always that that great ecosystem. So if you're whether you're fishing albacore, whether it was yellowfin tuna that maybe was, you know, on the inside, you know, on the mackerel bank, the two eighty nine, uh, you know, down off the east end, uh, you know, off off the head, or whether it's bluefin tuna around the back, you could always rebound if you were having a bad day if that, if that stuff wasn't producing and and you know it's your one day on the water and you need you've got friends or it's just you and a buddy or maybe and i've got guys you know like jeff Prinzinski that goes out there by himself and just wants to have a good day maybe you shoot back into the island now and you look for yellows mm-hmm. and if those yellows don't bite yeah you can go you know and and, and do some shallow water calico bass fishing or you don't have to really even try very hard to find some rockfish grounds and yep. you can go catch rockfish. So yeah, to sum it up, San Clemente Island is an amazing place to, to, to fish, uh, to, to find diversity. Uh, and for most people, you know, they just never get the shot to do it. Now, mm-hmm. one more thing I will say, you know, I, I've been doing this for, for a lot longer than most people. When we first started, you know, in Danaware sport fishing and, and uh, Newport, we started fishing San Clemente Island when I was a kid in the 70s and the 80s. Most of the people that were buying a ticket on the overnight open party boat to San Clemente Island were going there with uh, 540s, 100Js, uh, surface iron, and they were going there to catch calico bass. That was the place that you went. It, it wasn't, you know, there was no, obviously, social media. Nobody knew, you know, how much, you know, uh, you know, exotics might be on the back. You know, nobody was going over there thinking, man, maybe we'll get tuna. And in fact, there wasn't even a lot of pressure on the yellows. It was, you know, boats went over there to go calico bass fishing. I mean, it huh. was huge. And we did catch a lot of yellows. You know, we, we, you know, we, you know, we had different tackle, you know, and, 
you know, we were fishing a lot of pin reels and uh, squitters and jig masters, and we were fishing newels and we were fishing, you know, some Daiwa stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a different time. You know, Shimano mm-hmm. was, was doing well with the, you know, TLD star drags and stuff like that. And, but a, a lot of guys went over there, uh, to just fish calicos. It's, it, and it's, it's still there. Oh. It, it, it's just amazing though, the potential for calico bass fishing at San Clemente Island. And now there's so much more around it that, that, you know, kind of takes the pressure off it a little bit. If you, yeah. if you would. Yeah. So the, um, you know, I think a lot of people say that this has been a new thing and for bluefin fishing. And certainly you, you recall albacore fishing quite a bit. I've heard actually some old stories that these bluefin have actually been around from time to time. Sure, yeah. And, uh, and so what's your thoughts about people saying it's a 100-year fishery? Do you think it's really that it's a 100-year wave or a trend um, that's periodically coming around? Or do you think this stuff's actually been here, but it's been overfished? Or do you think it's been just uh, hasn't been the right conditions? Has it been less bait for them to eat? Why are they here in numbers? Sure. So there, there, there's a little bit of all of that. So we, I've always, in my lifetime of doing this, seen bluefin tuna not only at San Clemente Island but here on the coast almost every year. Uh, maybe not, you know, these cows that everybody's catching, but that schoolie fish that you know maybe popped up at twelve pounds or maybe we saw thirty or forty pounders. But our techniques and uh, our abilities to catch them uh, were challenged mm. in, in the old days. You know, you would hear guys saying, oh, yeah, you know, I, tr- I, I went down to 10 pound with a, a, a number six hook and I got bit, you know, and, and we, we, we didn't quite understand the fishery and, and the potential that, that was there, you know, going back into the, you know, the 80s and, and the 90s. You know, of course, we did have... I had some great stops where, you know, we'd get these albacore plunkers and, you know, and all of a sudden it, it turned straight bluefin. So the bluefin's always been here. Now, when we talk about the cows, the cows is, the cow bluefin here, I think is, is a little bit more unique. Now, you guys maybe remember uh, people talking about seeing, you know, 400-pound uh, bluefin tuna, 300-pound bluefin tuna, 200-pound bluefin tuna at Guadalupe Island years ago. And that tuna disappeared. It, it stopped showing up there. And so we do get cyclical uh, changes in our, uh, in our ecosystems and our water conditions, our currents. And if you go back and you look at what started to happen around the time that these bluefin tuna started showing up on the coast here, these bigger bluefin, uh, it, it was at a unique time of year. It was actually in the spring when they showed up, they came up early. Uh, they came up along our coastline. It was, it was kind of a, a, a bit of a phenomenon for most people, uh, myself included to see, you know, giant bluefin tuna and, and for us, giant bluefin tuna means, you know, over a hundred pounds. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, we're not on the East coast and not, uh, not yet. Yeah. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, uh, but you know, to see that, that bigger grade of tuna like that was certainly something that in my career, I'd never witnessed. At least I didn't know it was there. Maybe it just never showed. But we, you know, that that type of fish tends to show uh, at some point or another because of the forage. You know, as the 
you know, you get in your slack tides or you get around a good upwelling and it brings those nutrients higher up and, and pretty soon that bait has nowhere to go and, and it gets fed on on the surface and, and that's when you get to see your foamers and and uh, and whatnot. But we never really saw that big fish. So when you look at the at the time frame when that fish showed up, we were we were witnessing some unique uh, cyclical events. And I say cyclical because I'm sure it's happened before. I mean, the earth is so old and yet we're, we're really only looking back, uh, you know, about a hundred years on, on patterns. You know, we really don't know a whole lot about our, Mm -hmm. our ocean conditions. We don't have any way to archivally go back and, and look at things. But if you start looking at what happened, uh, you can, you can kind of say that there was definitely a, a significant change. And, you know, some of us have the ability to imagine it, uh, uh, you know, in a way that, that I guess, uh, animates what happens. So we, we do start seeing certain things happen around the, the planet that can actually have cyclical event changes in different geographic locations than where they occurred. So if you, for instance, look at what happened in, on December 26th, uh, um, in, in 2004, uh, we had an enormous earthquake in the Indian Ocean that uh, knocked the earth off its axis for a fraction of a second, and Thai, uh, Thailand was hit with an enormous tsunami, and, and we watched our TVs for three days because it was big news, and, and then we went about our lives. But there's a ripple effect to those types of events. And so those, the, those type of huge events start to uh, you know, make... Uh, you know, slight changes in, in, in certain geographical locations will see heavier changes. So you, you have a ripple effect uh, from something like that. And then we, we see, again, you know, uh, large earthquakes uh, like the earthquake in Chile 2011, and we all had a tsunami up here. Uh, again, 2014, we had, we had uh, Japanese. These are, all, these are all events that can, that can increase or decrease prevailing currents uh, velocity for uh, – uh, you know, a short amount of time because of Earth's gravitational pull, everything comes back into play, uh, and you know you can't change currents. You can't you can't make them go a different direction because of gravitational pull and the Earth is spinning. But what happens is, is you if you get a, a a little ripple effect, you can change the velocity, and so what happens is the countercurrents that are created by the prevailing currents end up having wider or shallower turns, and those prova- those countercurrents here, especially in Southern California, are what bring us fish so when you look at what's really happening here in southern california california southern california is in a giant bay and if we were to look at the prevailing currents in the pacific northern hemisphere the north pacific california the north equatorial and the japanese current we're spinning clockwise and by theory of that we should have salmon and cold water out of british columbia here but somehow we end up with 75 to 78 degree water in some circumstances in the summer. How does it happen? I, well, this is how it happens. We, we see increased uh, low pressure activity in the Pacific Northeast during this winter time. That, that, that activity, that, that, uh, that energy uh, increases velocity. So the velocity increases for the prevailing current. The prevailing current, current hits islands and seamounts and uh, land masses. Uh, points, point conception, and uh, a shear is created, an eddy. That eddy goes out into the Pacific, 
and it starts to get into the South Pacific, warmer water, Hawaii, Samoa, and the Earth's gravitational pull starts to pull it back because it can't just keep going that way because the Earth is spinning. And so that water then gets pulled back. So seasonally, you have a ton of energy up here, you know, wintertime, storms. That creates more energy, more velocity. That's, that water gets pushed and moved and comes back and brings us planktonic fish, brings us pelagics, brings us our migratory fish. That's how we get that warm water. And depending on that type of activity, that's why every year here is different because it's, it's, there's no playbook. It, it changes. And so one year we might have it coming in from this direction. The other year it might be this direction. You might have albacore in the 1010 trench. You might have albacore on the dumper and the butterfly. You know, it, 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 it swings like a dog tail because nothing's written in stone. The earth is always changing. And so when we saw that bluefin tuna show up, we had quite a few cyclical events that led us into seeing an increase in storm activity in, uh, in the Pacific, mainly around the tip of Baja and northern uh, and central mainland Mexico. And so we started going through uh, a tremendous amount of hurricanes. We went, in, in fact, all the way through the alphabet. Uh, so storms are named starting with A and going to Z. And all of that, that pressure uh, combined with uh, the type of activity we had in the Pacific Northeast and then a El Nino ended up creating what we call the warm blob, uh, the triple R, the, the ridiculously resist, resilient resistance. Talking about 98, 99? Uh, no, this is actually 2000 and, uh, 2012, oh, 2000. Right, yeah. blob, yeah. Yeah, and so this, this, this blob of warm water ended up moving all the way up into uh, northern Oregon and Washington, and it settled there. And as that settled there, it changed the the way our trough moves across uh, the globe. And so then it, it changes the positioning of the polar jet stream and the, subtropical, and the tropical jet stream. And so what ends up happening is you start to see different weather patterns. So this high pressure shows up up here. And now instead of having storms coming down the coastline, you see the trough further offshore. It swings up and goes into the Arctic and then dumps down to the Midwest. And you end up with a polar vortex. Well, and, and now you're starting to see massive amounts or have been seeing massive amount of al albacore up in Oregon and Washington. Exactly. And then we don't have it down here. We right. have bluefin. So it all has to do that. So, right. yeah. So I know I, I talk a lot and I hope everybody is listening going, this is all fascinating. This is fascinating. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll say yeah. that. This guy drives a boat. <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be booking with you just for yeah. the just for the knowledge, so, you know. So, anyways, what 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 ends up happening is we what ended up happening was we ended up having no exit. So most of the time when we see fish come into Southern California, they're they're planktonic. They're they're coming here through through the conditions, the the, the counter currents or the prevailing currents. And those fish just move through, and then they, they continue to flow with that, and, and they have an exit. But there was such a unique scenario that we ended up not having an exit for those, when those, you know, out of the ordinary, cyclical events of having large bluefin tuna show up here, not schoolies, they had nowhere to go. And, and they just kind of ended up finding a perfect scenario, perfect ecosystem to thrive here. Uh, and we're seeing uh, a tremendous fishery come out of it, and I don't know how long it's going to last. I hope it, you know, hope it never goes away because it's very stimulating to our fishing community. Absolutely. Uh, 
But nonetheless, the, the smaller schoolies, I've always seen them. These bigger fish, I think, tie in a little bit more to this unique event that, that occurred uh, for this, you know, uh, uh, setup to happen. And, uh, and they just, you know, obviously they're not leaving because they're getting bigger. And they're getting fed. And they're yeah, getting was, fed. <laughs> and the forage say. is great. We've got yeah. great forage. Uh, you know, we're seeing uh, a, a great amount of forage. I mean, God, coming home from San Clemente Island on Wednesday, it was just grease. In fact, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine. He's like, hey, man, you know, you, we have cell phone service at San Clemente Island now, which is kind of nice. Uh, Are you guys all right out there? I go, yeah. He goes, well, how's the weather? I go, it's grease. He goes, man, it's supposed to blow like 50 offshore. He goes, be careful. I go, no, it'll be slick. Because, <laughs> you know, those offshores, you know, depending on where they where they set up, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's just grease out there. Coming back in from, from San Clemente Island, I'm, I'm just miles and miles of bait schools. And I kept telling my dad, can I go, in a few weeks, maybe, maybe a couple of months, those bait schools are going to be foamers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. They need to eat. It's only a matter yeah, of time. Yeah. Yeah. Really neat. Yeah. So, so anyways, you know, and we've, we've been able to, uh, you know, conquer the, uh, I, I would say the technology, uh, for us to not only, uh, catch or hook these larger bluefin, but land these larger bluefin. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, uh, sponsored by Akuma. I'm one of the product developers. The Makaira. Yep. Oh is, yeah. That's what oh, I use. I, I, it's it's it, it's got to be one of the best reels ever made. Uh, it was really neat with John Bradsa and uh, and the staff there at Akuma and Doug Lasko when we started uh, putting the Makaira together years ago. Uh, how innovative it, it became. I mean, uh, the anti reverse systems. Double dogs. Uh, yeah, yeah, double dog springs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is a bulletproof reel for big game fishing. Uh, and it can be used, you know, across the board. Uh, you know, I take my Makaira 15s and I fish you know, yellows with them. I, you know, I yo yo with them. Uh, I, I, I fish grouper with them. Mm. I, I, mm. I use them as marlin casters. Oh, I, I can't awesome. tell you how many, you know, marlin I've released on the Makaira 15. I mean, they make great marlin casters. Uh, you know, you step up to the 16, and now you've got a reel that you can put 120 pound braid on and, and, you know, top shot it with whatever you need. And you've got that perfect rail rod. You know, if you want to go bigger, you, you jump up to the 20 or the 30. And I mean, if you really want to go big, you know, those guys that are fishing, you know, that, you know, the California flyer of flying fish, fishing the kite. I mean, you set up that, that 50, you know, on, on the right, you know, uh, bent button and right now i'm testing for akuma and adjust a butt system for mm-hmm. akuma so we'll have our you know uh, adjust a butt uh uh bent rod uh, bent or straight butt uh uh rail rod it's it's gonna be uh really neat but we've we've just done so well with the makaira so going back i mean we've 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 conquered the techniques necessary to land these bigger fish and we've done it respectfully uh you know it's brought a lot of guys into the industry uh, that are that are innovative and 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 brilliant and and designing things like uh, you know these uh, the California Flyer. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's a great product. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think at one point nobody could get their hands on them. Uh, I, I I wouldn't say that it. it uh, Same with a, the Makaira too. Yeah, <laughs> the, you know the, the the dredge became really popular last year, and that's mm-hmm. not a new product. In fact, uh, John Carlson, I, I was talking to him a couple times. He's a character. 
Um, John, I hope you're listening. Uh, we really love your product. Uh, everybody wanted, if you didn't have a Carlson dredge, you didn't have a dredge. You had something that was behind the boat and didn't get bit like a Carlson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was getting so many phone calls cause he had his number listed, his website. He, he just threw his arms up and said, I'm done. You guys over there on the West coast are a bunch of idiots. We've been using this stuff forever, <laughs> 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 but we've come up with so many different, you know, techniques uh, you know, for, for catching these flying fish, uh, a really good friend of mine, Dave Reed, uh, makes, uh, Dave, I hope you're listening. Uh, he makes a flying fish bait tank, five gallon bait tank for flying fish. It's basically like tuna tubes and they're mm-hmm. portable. They're plug and play. Uh, and so if you want live flyers, you know, you, you know how to get them. You go over there and I'm catch kidding. live flyers. You, you, you tube them. Um, uh, I, I can't say exactly how many tubes are in one bucket, but I want to say there's like 10, uh, amazing product. And, uh, so, you know, we're coming up with all these different ways to, you know, to successfully, uh, target and land these fish. It's been, it's been a, a, a neat run. And then let's not even get started on all the stuff we've been able to figure out on the surface, you know, uh, <laughs> from poppers and, you know, surface iron and, 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 and our approaches, you know, mm-hmm. learning our approaches, you know, at first, you know, when this stuff showed up for me anyways, you know, we we're thinking, you know, old school slide on it in braille. And mm-hmm. it, it just watch it swim away. It's not even reacting. It's like, you know, dump three, four scoops of bait on it and not even get a reaction and then figure out where that lead fish is. I mean, we were able to actually, and there's a lot of guys listening. You can tell when you're, when you get good at, at fishing that bluefin on foamers, which one's going to bite. Right. We, mm-hmm. you, you can tell, you can see that. You can one. see it start to develop. Yeah, you start you see seeing it. it moving along and starting to pop up. Cause once you get on your boat and you get close to it, they sink out though, but they rotate. Yeah. They swing underneath each other and they'll go up around the other side and they'll start boiling. And then all of a sudden it's full wide open whitewash and you're like, Oh, but you might've been on the backside uh, yeah. of it trying <laughs> to chase it the whole time. So yeah, you're right. It's really cool. And so, you know, it, it does get a little frustrating when you got a couple of boats out there that can't mm. breathe, you know, through their nose and, you know, they're just, you know, running and gunning and everything. And you're looking at them going, man, it, it, that stuff's just going to pop up perfect right here in a minute. And, you know, you can just tell when those foamers get right and you're going to get bit on them. And so we've, we've done a lot of things that are really cool. Now, I will say on some of those big foamers, uh, we're snagging quite a few fish because, you know, it's just so tight. A, yeah. yeah, they're so tight. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're all fishing with braid line these days mm. and braid line floats. And so these fish are coming up and they're, they're bumping that braid and then just dragging that lure into them. But, you know, because of the type of, of hook sets that we're putting on our lures now, I mean, we're landing a lot of these fish. You know, it's a little tougher, you know, because you're, you know, dragging them in, you know, sideways or even backwards if you hook them in the motor. But, uh, you know, but we're landing some of these fish. Do you run straight trebles on your poppers or do you do assist with Baker rig hooks or anything like that? I'm just running straight trebles, but I'm switching them out to make sure, you know, if they don't already come with a, you know, a really strong, you know, uh, uh, set of trebles and we'll switch them out. But the biggest thing is, you know, I, I, I'm very rarely out there without a client. I'm out mm-hmm. there with a client and I want my client to have a, a higher opportunity uh, to catch a fish, hook a fish. Yeah. I, I want their, 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 you know, opportunities uh, to have a high percentage rate. And so we, we tend to kind of keep it simple, you know, and, and, and tried and true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, uh, amount of people that have started to get into this at this point, 
uh, is an ever increasing, increasing amount. And I think you bring up a really good point about uh, people getting into chasing fish, right? There is definitely a way to do it. And if someone's out there and they've been putting their time on and they have their foamer fishing going, it's all about rotation. You just got to be patient, try to let everyone have space. They're gonna If they don't get hooked up, maybe it's time to get in there and try your own hand. But you could parallel someone for quite a while, and that fish is going to continue popping up and Absolutely. get better, maybe. Yeah. So it's a great point. You know, we see, and I've I've had boats do this where, you know, they'll wait off. You know, maybe I got on that 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 school first. You know, on that foamer first, and you know, as soon as we get a, a fish hung or a couple fish hung, right. we're we're now we're tied up. You know, that's give us that shot, and we'll be tied up, and that fish is going to pop up again. And if you if you're paying attention, you'll figure out which way that fish is moving. And now you get into position and, and you get your shot at it. And, you know, this fish isn't just up and gone in an instant. It can be spooked and gone in an instant. Right. But the stuff's up for a reason. It's eaten. Mm-hmm. And usually it stays up for a little while. If it's if it's up and gone, your chances of getting bit anyways are pretty slim. Right. You know, unless you're changing your techniques and you're, you know, you know running a kite through it with a with a uh, you know, a, a flying fish or a, or a California flyer or, a, uh, you know, uh, whatever you're using, you know, it, uh, you know, if you're trying to just fish that stuff on foamers with, with, you know, poppers and, and surface iron and, and, you know, cold snipers or, you know, dart jigs or whatever you're using, it, this stuff's got to really be staying up. And so be patient and, and kind of look at the situation. And usually if you've got one spot popping up, there's going to be more. It's Oh yeah. In the area. In the area. Right. There's going to be more. Most of the time. Yeah. Most, most of the time. time. Yeah, most time. Todd, I'm fired up to go right now. Yeah, I, right. <laughs> so you guys, I want to go. Know, uh, is already catching fish down yeah. below. Uh, you know, the fortune's catching fish down below. Uh, you know, the guys are going and they're, and they're putting some pretty good trips together and there's some yellows down there. They're uh, eliminating out their first night. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it's not far. I mean, it, it's basically what happens and you can kind of, this is a trend. Uh, it, it, you kind of see the stuff down below their, imagine a cotton candy machine. We've all seen cotton candy uh, made, you know, this it's spinning sugar on the inside and then starting to spit out, you know, the cotton on the outside. And right now that, that cotton candy machine is, is, and it's typical for it to be spinning right there. It kind of gets held up and, and all the sugar is just right there. (laughs) And it's just going to kind of hang down there, you know, off in Sonata and it's going to move up, you know, you know, and back and forth through 425 and, you know, the 302 in those areas there, it's going to kind of move back and forth. And then it's going to start spitting out the cotton candy and and that stuff's going to start like spilt paint coming up here. And, Sweet. And, and I use the term spilt paint because it, it's funny how when it, once it gets above that, that feed of water that's down there and it starts moving into this Southern California, uh, you know, the uh, Gulf of Catalina, it just kind of starts to act a little bit different. And I think it's because there's, there's a tremendous amount of, of forage here versus what they're, they're feeding on there at the, at the time of departure. And so they get up here and they start getting on that forge, and you, you see the stuff. I mean, you hear oh, it was off Oceanside. Oh, it's off Dana. Oh, it's 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 off Newport. Up, oh, and then it hits that shelf right there at the Huntington Flats, and it bends out. And oh, the stuff's you know it's it's on the fourteen. It's it's on the apple. Oh, it's on the two seventy seven, and it just starts doing this giant circle, and it's just it's just everywhere it can find food, and it's just moving around really fast. 
that's the spilt paint. You know, mm. you just it, it one day to the next, it just it's just kind of all over the place because it gets in here and starts finding that food, and then it starts to settle. And it starts to move out and it starts to find, you know, the 81. It starts to find the East End. It starts to find that good forage. It finds that ecosystem and it just plants itself. Mm-hmm. And then you get those schools that pop up in the league. get those, those schools that pop up on the inside. And we had that really good biomass last year that was on the 209 for like three weeks. I mean, we had yeah. breezers that were, I mean, no exaggeration, you know, four <laughs> or five footballs long. I mean, just giant, giant. fish too. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> just giant breezers and just unbelievable amount of fish and the fact that we've managed this fishery the Mm. way that we've managed it uh keeping the nets off of it this is a fishery that may eventually have more sustainability than it's ever had because you know bluefin tuna have suffered around the world you know there was a time there were bluefin tuna counts you know uh stocks worldwide were at like 15 percent so you know, it, 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 it was common knowledge that bluefin tuna were, uh, you know, seeing a little bit too much pressure. I mean, obviously, it's the best sashimi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's targeted by, you know, countries other than the United States at a high dollar value. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's now managed really well. Mexico is managing well with mm-hmm. their quotas. Mm-hmm. And so the Mexican quotas are really well. And the U.S. Uh, guidelines for commercial fishing them uh, with persane, it, it's a really low tonnage number, so they're basically leaving them alone. And it, it, it's something really good for uh, the sustainability to see these guys that are commercial rod and reel fishing them. It's a great product. It's good for, for the local community. It's good for those fishermen. It, it's, it's good for the next generation. It's good for yeah. the next generation. Yep. Um, my sister and I... Just lost my dad, John Manser, who was the founder of John's Fish Market in Dana Point Harbor. We opened up the, the fish market, John's Fish Market in 1980. And one of the things that my sister and I are doing is trying to buy uh, fish from sustainable fisheries. And one of the things that we really like is this, this local caught bluefin tuna here in the united states and the fishermen that are catching them and and they're just they're just so stoked man they're Mm -hmm. just it's just such a great great fishery that you know the people like it i mean if you look at what we're charging per pound they're getting per ounce at a sushi bar you know Mm -hmm. so i mean we have a great price for it uh and i just really like it i like the way that things are moving Uh, and we do the same you know for those local fishermen that are rod and reel commercial with per you know with their permits uh, everything on on uh, on the up and up for white sea bass and yellowtail uh, and and yellowfin tuna. And we're we're trying mm-hmm. to buy that rod and reel sustainably caught product and and bring it to table at the fish market. It's really been yeah. Nice. Todd, first of all, RIP to your dad, man. He you know, it's a huge loss for sure. Yeah, yeah. He was a my dad was a great man. Uh, he he was one of the innovators in not only passenger sport fishing and and really bringing a you know a day of excitement to that one day of fishing he had on the water to that sportsman but he was also a big part of our uh, swordfish fishery uh, here in southern california uh, he did a lot uh, to you know help sustainability and the environment uh, you know he voluntarily allowed 
observers on board uh, during the years where we were fishing, you know, uh, sea bass nets and, and shark mm-hmm. nets along mm-hmm. the coast to look at the vulnerability of, of juvenile great white sharks. And, and in part, uh, you know, you know, these guys, you know, that were fishing these these techniques we're all on board to a stronger ecosystem and, and, and move those nets out uh, three miles or deeper in, in, than 100 fathoms. And that really kind of got rid of the drift, or pardon me, the gill net in Southern California. My dad was all for that because the, it, just, it was just too much for our ecosystem to have those here. He was, he was an, an innovator in, in the harpoon swordfish fishery, uh, you know, one of the oldest techniques of harvesting a fish in mankind mm-hmm. is is a harpoon mm-hmm. it's a spear the first way of taking a fish was with a spear it goes back before christ uh you know the trojans harpoon swordfish there's no bycatch and most sword fishermen that are harpooners won't even take puffs there's, there's no point in it you know mm-hmm. you selective get, you're being selective. very selective yeah. so uh, uh, what a uh you know, well-respected fishery that he deeply involved himself in. And he was probably, I, I say this, my dad's favorite two words, got one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> my favorite awesome. two words are love you. Yeah. <laughs> His favorite two words <laughs> are got one. And that, you know, when you sit in a pair of binoculars for hours on end, mm-hmm. uh, looking for uh, a swordfish finning, I, you go through your mind how many different ways you can sound cool to the guy next to you in the tower. Okay, I got one here. <laughs> <laughs> Just call him a collective. Yeah. You haven't seen anything in 10 hours. Okay, I got one here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's so awesome. true. That one. Uh, it, it was his favorite thing to do with sword fishing. And mm-hmm. uh, he had at one point an entire picket fence around his yard made of swordfish pills Bills. that he yeah. had harvested harpoon by hand wow. each one uh yeah what a tremendous life he got to lead mm-hmm. uh he, he'd seen the best of the best fishing you know here in southern california and like i did an article in the orange county register last night with uh, writer erica ritchie and that my dad was one of the uh the captains in the 60s and 70s that had to go out and find these ecosystems for their passengers without a GPS, right? Without a Loran C radar, without, without anything that it was yeah. all, it was all landmarks. You know, they'd find these, these stones and these, these ecosystems and they, they became painters because they would literally, you know, on sometimes it would be on the back of a landing ticket that you got on the boat with, you know, cause they're counting them and they're using those because they weren't good enough to remember to have a pad of paper and they would be drawing out pictures of a tree and a house and the mountain. And that's where the spot was. And that's how those guys fished back in the sixties and seventies and still gave you the best day on the water you ever had. You know, fishing even back in the days of linen line and all the mm, stuff they right. went through, you know, the changes. It just he, he he got to be a huge part of our industry from from that point to this point, and I'm gonna miss him dearly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean to the Dana Point Harbor area and even before that in San Clemente and all that, we lost two legends, your dad and Don Hansen as well. Right. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's like uh uh somebody once told me you get to a point in your life where there's nobody else left in the audience. And, 
you know, we're not getting out of this alive, and uh, everybody's got their their expiration date. And sadly, we've lost some of the legends in our that, that we grew up knowing mm-hmm. in this industry. And uh, yeah, well, I'm going to miss Don Handsome, and I miss my dad. Uh, and and there's just it just seems like there's been so many others as well, not to mention all of them. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, some of the greatest innovators uh, of our time, you know, it, have come yeah. to their time. Absolutely, with you know, kind of going back to fishing a little bit with the bluefin or with the tuna basically getting in your neck of the woods. I mean, I can't really remember times where you're going uh, out of Dana Point or even Oceanside or whatnot on a full day trip and you've got wide open schools of bluefin and all that. And it's even the, uh, the opposite for San Diego boats where the overnights are going north instead of south. Right. Right. It's a weird, it's a weird transition. He might be closer than some of these yeah. sometimes during oh, yeah. the season. There's times yeah. where we're, you know, we're loading passengers, you know, on a five to five and it's dark and I can see a glow of lights outside the harbor. <laughs> yeah. right. Right. <laughs> San Diego fleet. I remember that off San Onofre last year. Sitting on the 267. Yeah. yeah 11 miles off. Wild. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. You know, so, you know, everything is, Everything is a little cyclical, and every every year's a little bit different. You never know what to expect. It's certainly been exciting, but I can tell you this: in 1979, on the Cypolaris fishing barge kelp, barge rock, but it was there was a lot of kelp back then. Uh, you know, we had days where the bluefin tuna had explode outside of us. You know, right I, there. Yeah, right there. You know, and there was days, you know, fishing, you know, desperation, or even just fishing spots on the east end of San Clemente Island, and we'd see you know bluefin just explode. You know, and but you know, we we have a a different way of of fishing these days than we did back then. You know, back then it was more, you know, anchor up on the spots. Uh, you know, maybe troll for bonito. Uh, you know, maybe they were you know looking around for barracuda, and and there wasn't a lot of you know in, in Dana Point, Newport Beach. There wasn't you know a lot of you know hunting and, and running and hunting for big tuna until the albacore showed up. And then the boats would go out there and they'd drag their albacore feathers and we'd start fishing albacore. And, and you know, back in the good old days, I mean, we had albacore in the channel all the time. And the last time I saw that, well, I did see a little bit of albacore in the channel uh, in the late 90s and early 2000. I want to say the last time I saw them in the channel was probably 2000, 2001, but my memory doesn't serve me well all the time. But it was probably right around then. It wasn't a great amount. You know, and what I mean by the channels inside of Catalina, right. you know, in, in here. Uh, but in 1984, um, in, in 1983, we had a really strong El Nino. In 1984, we had a combination of albacore, yellowfin, and bluefin here. And, I mean, we had tons of it. It was unbelievable. I was working for Joe Dunn in San Diego. I started off working on the Spirit of Adventure that year. So that was the first year the Spirit of Adventure was in San Diego. Joe Dunn owned it at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike was running it. Uh, and I did a maiden voyage with them. We did, I did a couple trips and then I went over and started working, uh, on the tradition and we went from running, uh, limited load to running full load, 55 passengers because there was just too many people showing up to fish and the fishing was just unbelievable. Wow. But by November of 1984, we had albacore on the 14th. This is November, 1984. We had albacore on the 14 mile bank Holy and they were smokes. tankers. They were all like 50, 60, 
Yeah, and and think about that. Eighty four, the technique and the technology mm-hmm. and the reels right. and the line. Right. And that late and of we were <laughs> in November. Yeah, in November. <laughs> yeah, and we were catching them. So ten yeah. five hundred. Yeah, and and, uh, and, and some kind of line. Some, <laughs> some kind of all fiberglass. If you could get yeah. an eight foot, so like Absolutely. a true line. Yeah, uh, yeah a, with a, a lama glass. Uh, hammerhead was really big Lama-glass. back then. I don't know if you guys remember hammerhead blanks, but uh, hammerhead mm. saber. Wow. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're gonna use at least or at the most thirty. You're gonna be probably using what twenty twenty five. Yeah. Most guys mm-hmm. shut up with twenty. Size one. I can size tell you, two. In 1984, <laughs> we had more people fishing with twenty and twenty five pound with plastic spool pin reels. There you go. Wow. And and when we would, you know, we don't see this too much anymore. In '84, we had a lot of blue or a lot of big eyes show up as well. So we had hmm. we had some big eye uh, show up. In fact, I was with Mike Thompson on the Amigo and. 1984 running a couple trips and we ended up having i want to say we had over 20 fish over 100 pounds uh you know i was jumping in front of cameras to get on the news that day because we we came in we were out of fisherman's landing that day Mm -hmm. uh, it was just it was phenomenal but a lot of these you know these anglers were showing up back then with you know plastic spool you know right out of the you know thrifty you know glass case you know or kmart you know uh, squitters or jigmaster juniors and they would hang one of those big fish, and after a while, those plastic spools break, yeah. would break. Yeah. <laughs> <Like just, laughs> you know, you'd have a couple deckhands out hanging because it has already been on for three hours, and everybody wants to see it. We'd be out there trying to handline these things. I mean, the stories we could tell were just oh. amazing. But you can, know, we, can we, you imagine what's going to happen when they when the Albacore come back and we have all oh. this really cool technology? Right. We've got braid now. Right. We have these rods and reels that are tiny compared to what the even spinning reels now. Let's so you can flick an anchovy. God knows how far now you know we used to joke about the people that showed up with the spinning reel you know we call them coffee grinders you know of course the east still coast joke. you know the floridians that's all they do that's all they used you know and they were probably looking at us going you know these guys are just they're just not with it yet but now so uh the sagros spinning reel uh the, mm, the 55 mm-hmm. and the 6500 by akuma uh we we did so much product testing on the azores and and we were we were doing a lot of stuff with the 5500 and the 6500 azores from akuma uh, popper fishing. Uh, Sweet. They've been uh, through the round. Then. Yeah, they've been through the round. And one of the things that we were finding were some of the different tolerances and how we could improve on it. And we we finally got that done in the Sadros spinning reel. I had So I had a full line of Sadros spinning reels last year. Not one of them have made it to the shop. Think of that. <laughs> now, I carry six passengers almost every day. And we took those things out. Bluefin tuna fishing. We took them yellowtail fishing. We could take them in the same reel and changed the top shot and go calico bass fish. And we took them to Mexico. We fished yellows. We fished Wahoo. We fished Dorados. We fished everything with these. Never serviced. And didn't need to be serviced. How many years? This is a full season. A so, full season? But you think about how many times yeah. those, those reels hit the water. Oh, and God, so yeah. This and is sun damage, too. Yeah, and sun damage. So now this is your personal reel that you're going to personally take care of. This is a reel that you can count on, and it's a great price. I mean, it, it's just a wonderful product. At a great price, it's got curb appeal. It, it's it, it matches any any rod. It's it's black and chrome. So yeah. I mean, what doesn't go with black and chrome? Uh, and then we did some testing on some really bitching spinning reels for Akuma this year down in, in Mexico, and we caught marlin on them. Are they out yet? Uh, they will be soon. So I, okay. I won't I won't say anything yet. But you in guys, twenty twenty two, they'll be out. Yeah, and you guys, iCast. Yeah, you'll, yeah, okay. iCast exactly. So. Uh, you'll see them at iCast. I personally love their sound. I love their feel. Uh, the new handles. We finally 
uh, EVA one. handles. Uh, they're I, I don't want to blow it, blow it, no. but it's, Dang they're it. different. <laughs> I'm trying to come at this so, all sorts of angles here. Yeah, to get some so, inside so they're, they're they're different, and, but they are they small or big? Hand. They're 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 basically a knob handle. So well, is there is the real uh, size range? So it's going to be a size range of a 55 and a 65. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's going to be you know your typical you know uh, standard size that we all love and feel is is adequate for fishing braid and 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 having that you know, that, mm. that strength that, that, that they need. And I'm not kidding you. We caught it. We were yo-yo iron fishing, me, squigs, Eugene, Travis, uh, yo-yo fishing them for yellows. I caught grouper on them. We went and, and you know how good the Marlin fishing gets in mag Bay. I don't know how many Marlin we released on these things and we could not pitch and pitch and max to them. Yeah. We couldn't ruin one. We well, that's so cool to do yeah. because when you're pitching a Mac or a bait, anything, you can make that thing go out so far and it's going to go into the water gently and that bait's going to run Absolutely. super free. Um, there's no, uh, tension from the spool at all. It's mm-hmm. just literally the line sails off. And when you get that big hammer bite, yeah, oh, super easy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a really fun fishing those things on drop backs. You know, the Floridians have been doing it forever, you know, going back to the East Coast guys. Uh, but, yeah, it was just – it was a lot of fun. Uh, smooth drags. Sweet. Yeah, really, really smooth. So you guys – What's will, the price see point? Some really – uh, they're going to be right up there, you know, in that mid range, you know, uh, you know, like three know, to four hundred. Yeah, probably going to be a little less than that. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, probably going to be right in that range. Is there a rod to go with it too? Uh not yet, but I'm sure they're coming up with one. Right now, the PCH popper rods are dynamite. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't beat it. Yeah, you can't beat it. The PCH rods have just been dyno. Uh, really happy with that rod. Uh, Kevin, fact, I, I might ordered, have to start spinning. I just ordered spinning four gear. more. You will. You will start spinning, actually, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. You have a seasoned angler here. I so, know. You know, like, we're, we're not BSing you, man. This is the deal. you got to try a spinning reel. You're selling me pretty well. It's. <laughs> am I wrong on, on the fact, like, if you're in the corner, let's just say everyone else has got their um, a 30-sized reel, right, or a 20, and everyone's fishing the, the sardine, and they're using a 20-pound a leader braid everyone's using the same thing and you're back there with the spinning reel you and i both know since we fish it that you can get a bait three to four times farther than anyone else off the back right where the chum's being yep. put in the water the bait's really happy there's no resistance on that especially with braid right on a spinning reel you will get a bit more absolutely bottom we, line we and the thing about it is is everybody can fish with them too sure so you know it's it's a great one to have in your in your pocket by the way we do a lot of uh you know crankbait fishing with them mm. you know we do you know a lot of hard bait fishing with them down south i mean they're just you can just over and over and over so you know one of the big things and one of the reasons why they make such great popper rods and reels is because everybody gets so excited when they get on those, you know, foamers of bluefin tuna, and they, you know, maybe they got a low profile, or you know, they've got some bitching, you know, star drag reel, and they go to cast that first time. That, that, that first time might be that perfect cast, but they yeah. didn't get bit. But they're so excited that they didn't level wind. Yeah, uh, they didn't yeah. bring that braid in right. So you've got it all stacked up, and they go to cast next time. Never happens with a spinning reel. Nope. Yeah. Never sure. happens. It's you, always going to be a cast right into the where you need right to be. It's right there. Yeah. And and the way that you hold a spinning reel and rod having, you know, the the bend of the rod opposite of a conventional rod for popper fishing, you're popping perfect on yeah. that on that rod bend. I mean, it just keeps it nice and stiff and loaded up all the time. So. Now, the only thing people are going to say that I think is the only real argument with a spinning rod and reel is the fight. 
You don't have as much leverage. Yeah. So how how do you overcome that? You know what? You get stronger forearms. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, go to my website, boardroomfishing.com, and look at the picture of Travis and uh, this female angler that, honest to God, she did this by herself. She's holding up a 90-pound yellowfin tuna that she got on the Makaira spinning reel by herself on a fly line sardine. And there were five guys on the boat with her all going, you need help? You want me to help? She pulled it off. So she could pull it off, you know, and, and she's pretty strong. She's probably a good angler, she's though. She's a good angler. Yeah. Uh, but it's a different technique. So what a lot of people mistake when they start first fishing spinning reels is they think that since they're right-handed that the handle of the reel needs to be on the right side. Mm. And it actually needs to be on the left on side. The left side. So you can lift with so your right. You, so if you're right-handed, that's where your strength is going to be mm-hmm. on the rod. So you can lift with your right. And you believe it or not, you kind of get into a motion where even though you're turning the handle with your left hand, you're kind of turning the handle with the rod. You kind know, uh, of right. start working the whole situation. There she is. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Super yeah. cool. <laughs> okay. I, okay, now, I'll get one. I apologize if you guys do go to the website and go, oh, my God, am I going to book a trip? None of my prices have been updated for our fuel prices. <laughs> so, <laughs> so go to DanaWharf.com for accurate prices. So I got to jump in here real yeah. quick about yeah. the whole spinning reel thing. That's all I ever fished for the longest time due to, the, due to the fact that I've got one hand. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was no... I never noticed. <laughs> there was no good level wines out there at right. the, at, up until lately. Yeah. And that's when I started fishing conventional reels when we, you can get a good level wine. Absolutely. And I t- had, I still have them. They are uh, the Shimano. Um, oh, shit. Stella? No. It's not bait runners or something? Yeah, it's a, but it's a, the higher end of their bait runner. They're blue. Okay. Anyway, took uh, three of them to um, Guadalupe Island. People were telling me that I was wrong for bringing them. Not gonna, not gonna catch. Not gonna catch. I put yellow fin after yellow fin after yellow fin on the deck. No oh problem. yeah, no problem. Yep. No, the 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 drag systems on them these days. And, and by the way, if you do look at a reel like the Makaira spinning reel, the Makaira spinning reel actually has a cam. Mm-hmm. So it, it's more like a lever drag. Uh, than a dial uh, or, you know, a, a dial drag or, you know, it, you have to think of the dial drag on a spinning reel as if it were a star drag on a conventional reel. Explain the cam really quick because so, I don't think people understand the so, differences here. So cam system allows us to pre-adjust the curves of our drag pressure. So um, we can go from free spool to strike to full and, and only have uh, a, a small curve in in that system, rather than continuing to tighten the nut, basically. So when you have a star drag or a dial drag, you're you're basically tightening down and tightening down the drag washers together. When we work with a cam system, basically the cam itself has a design so that it starts to apply the pressure at greater increments as you bring up the drag lever. So that cam system can give you better curve to get to those different drag settings. So in lever drags, we have a cam system and that, that cam system allows us to apply pressure to the drag washers in such a way that it, it's set up for instant uh, 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 pressure uh, increase or decrease. Whereas with a star drag, you're, you're, you're having to back off and set them now with a, with a uh, cam system you can easily preset different settings on your drag. So like if you watch one of us fish 
uh, you know, a you know, million dollar, you know, blue Marlin, black Marlin tournament, you know, most of us are setting our drag systems in different increments, you know, and the, and the cam will let us do that. A star drag doesn't, it's one setting. So with a cam system, I can set up, say I'm fishing, uh, you know, a hundred, uh, hundred pound mono, uh, or 120 pound mono. I want to, I want to fish within whatever my mono is. I want to fish, you know, roughly, you know, about 20 to 25% of my, of my breaking strength as my right, drag. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as, as I set things, I want to know that, uh, when I come up, you know, maybe, you know, a quarter of the way up that that's only going to be 14 pounds of drag and not 25 pounds of drag on hundred pound test. But my strike is my 25 pound. Now, you know, depending on how things are, when we start getting fish that are getting close to the boat, we know we've lost the stretch of the line. Now it's coming on or coming off. We can increase or decrease, you know, if we want to go to full, these cam systems allow us then to go past strike and go right into full drag without having to sit there and, and turn that star drag. So hopefully it simplifies the understanding of it, but basically uh, our cam systems allow us to have uh, accessibility to a drag curve, a drag curve that allows us multiple ranges, and a star drag is set at where it's set. And the optimal uh, style of drag system for tuna is the cam system. It's the cam system, yes, one hundred percent. And and the better the reel is, the better the drags are. And that's one thing about Makaira. You know, we had Cal Sheets uh, in mm, there. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, helping us with, uh, you know, making sure that the drag systems uh, were were perfect on all these things. So, you know, with some reels, you know, depending on the materials that are used for drags, uh, you can see an increase or decrease in drag pressure because you have different, uh, well, you have different tolerances or, uh, you know, uh, heat swells certain materials. And so your drag pressure can change as things go up. So, understanding you know the the product that you're buying and getting something that's going to be true so if i hook a fish and that fish is you know taking long runs i don't want my drag pressure to go on 100 pound test from 25 pounds of drag to 80 pounds of drag i want it to stay at 24 so mm-hmm. you know that they're there we've really gotten good at that you know we've really uh you know figured out the science on on working with the you know the friction and the heats and and some of it has to do with having good grease and and reducing the amount of friction to keep those heats down so that we don't see increased drag pressures or slippage and things like that so you better ask some questions because i'm going to keep going chris <laughs> for sure and you better cut well, me off so one thing before we get too much farther along tell us about the boardroom because i know we haven't re- we've been yeah, talking so straight the, fishing the boardroom uh the boardroom's a, a 65 hatteras that i've been running now for 17 years uh we we originally when we bought this the boardroom, uh, I was commercial harpoon sword fishing on a boat called the Mirage that we changed the name to the Captain Hook through uh, Bo Boyd at Disney, um, and I was approached to purchase the boardroom uh, by a couple amazing people, uh, family to me, and mm-hmm. the purchase was to uh, buy this boat, do some private fishing, but. Uh, use the boat and go back into the tournament fishing that I did so successfully on the Captain Hook 2 for Bo Boyd uh, and our team. Uh, and so we set that, that that platform up and we started fishing the Catalina tournaments, which are pretty much no more. I mean, you still have the, the Peskies and the, and the Masters, but you don't have the Zangre and the Catalina Classic and the Rosies. And I mean, we had such tremendous support back then. I mean, the, the, you know, 
2000, God, this is 22 years ago, uh, winning the uh, Catalina Classic when it was the Dram Bowie run by Harvey Honeycutt. I want to say we had 114 teams at the Catalina Classic, and that's big for a Southern California tournament. It was mm-hmm. huge. I think we ended up, uh, or I think we ended up winning like 157,000 or something in that tournament. Uh, and then, uh, you know, things started to change, you know, and the economy changed a little bit in 2008. And by 2008, there were really no more Marlin tournaments up here. And, you know, the, you know, I, I fished the Bisbees and the, you know, El Cid and, you know, the Los Cabos and all these different tournaments for so many years that, you know, I was ready for some change again. And I, you know, my, my, background with sport fishing and and passenger uh carrying vessels uh still held merit and and by 2011 uh we decided that it was either they were going to sell the boardroom or we had to come up with an idea that subsidized the the boardroom uh cost because uh, it's tre- tremendous cost owning a, a 65 hatter so we yeah. put it into i i came up with uh, uh, some hypothetical performers and and with a very close relationship that I've always had with Dana Worth Sport Fishing, Donna Kalez, Don Hansen, mm-hmm. Mike Hansen. Great people. David, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm as close as you can get to blood relative. I've literally known them since the day I was born. Uh, we were able to set up a, a very high-end, unique charter boat operation at Dana Worth Sport Fishing on the boardroom. And in the beginning, it was uh, a lot of hotel groups and, uh, you know, we've got the montage and the surf and sand and this, you know, back then it was the St. Regis, now it's the uh, Laguna, or now it's the Monarch Bay Beach Resorts. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got, you know, all these, you know, the Ritz-Carlton, we've got all these resorts that, you know, that, you know, bring, you know, so many opportunities uh, towards Dana Worth Sport Fishing uh, that we, we started doing really well with those and then, I, I started to, uh, you know, we, we, we started seeing an increase in our local fishery and started getting more and more business, you know, back on, the, you know, uh, on the water as a charter boat. And before I knew it, we were, you know, full speed ahead and, and applying for motors to the AQMD because we were running literally, you know, as much as any, you know, commercial charter boat, uh, put new C-18s in the boat. And so we turned the boardroom into a, you know, full-blown legitimate charter business. And today... Uh, you know, we offer trips, uh, from basically January to October. We're, we're closed, uh, for California charters, uh, and we don't charter in Mexico. Uh, we're basically closed for charters in October, November, and, and December as we, uh, we do use the boat in Magdalena Bay, you know, and fish down there, uh, uh, a lot. <laughs> great, great place. Uh, yeah. Great place. Uh, so the boardroom, uh, you can find us at danaworth.com, uh, Danaworth Sport Fishing. I do have a website. It's not updated because I'm a fisherman and uh, <laughs> not a uh, computer literate uh, uh, geek. Yep. And, uh, you know, a computer geek. I just, I'm just horrible at it. Uh, and I need to go in there and update it. But I, I do, I will say this that due to the current increases in our fuel prices, uh, we are a trip that is uh, a little bit higher in cost than than most boats you'll go out on, but we do offer something completely different. When you show up on the boardroom, you you show up however you want to show up. If you've got a quiver of rods, we want you to bring your quiver of rods. 
if you don't want to deal with that, we've got our quiver of rods. We have everything from low profiles to spinning, spinning reels. Rods. We have <laughs> it. We have it all. So, and you can you can even you know suggest what you'd like to fish with. I don't I, I don't tell people to suggest where they want to go fishing because that's what my job is. But you can suggest what you'd like to fish with while you're out there with us during the day. We've got you know our rockfish reels. We've got our you know blue mar- our our bluefin tuna gear. We've got everything we need on the boat. You don't have to bring any food. Any trip over nine hours, we provide all meals. So breakfast, hot breakfast, lunch, uh, snacks, and full-size candy bars. And, nice. Uh, beverages. Sat- beverages, satellite TV, air conditioning, fr- uh, fish cleaning is complimentary. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those, you know, red carpet, you know, kind of trips. You know, you show up and everything's there for you. So you don't have to think about anything. The only thing that we do off, uh, ask our passengers to bring is a fishing license. Uh, and a just, cooler. Yeah, and a cooler. Mm-hmm. And and the nice thing is, is we work at Danaware Sport Fishing, and you can get your fishing license in the morning uh, before your trip at Danaware Sport Fishing in our office there and look at our apparel. We've got some amazing apparel and all sorts of great tackle there in the store. Or you can go to uh, CaliforniaFishAndWildlife.org and uh, create a username. Uh, and I tell the people this because it's, if you don't create a username on, uh, California fish and wildlife, uh, org before you try to purchase a license, you'll just be confused. You won't mm. understand why mm-hmm. I won't let you go to the purchase. It's a good point because you need to actually create an account. They want to know who you are so they can sell their license to the proper person, but you can buy licenses online, mm-hmm. uh, and, and make that easy to print it out or, you know, uh, have it on your phone. So that's all we, that's oh, yeah. great. Yeah. So just to clarify, so do you actually uh, basically fish off the boat or bring the boat down to Mag Bay every year? Every year. So I've wow. been, I, I can't, that's off a, the top of my head, fun trip. how many years I've, even when I was on the Captain Hook 2, we, every year we did Mag Bay. Uh, when I had the Mirage, uh, we did Mag Bay. The, the boardroom every single year we've done Mag Bay. It's our... I mean, even the other day we were talking about six more months. We'll be in Mag Bay. <laughs> <laughs> we get it, it'll be there, and and we do everything. So, and yeah, it is a uh, it, it is a perk. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you, do you offer trips down there? We don't. No, okay. uh, we we just I, and don't get me wrong. The guys down there, the 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 guys like Marcos uh, R- Romero, uh, Crispin Mendoza, they've all been asking me, "Man, Todd, you should be doing charters down here. We, <laughs> you should we we'll get the people from La, you know from Laredo. We get them over here." I'm like, "Ah, eh, it's not why we come here. You know, we yeah. come here because it's it's our time. It's just a it's such an untapped." fishery uh the marlin fishing is tremendous but you know most guys don't get to spend as much time as i get to spend there so you know i'll go marlin fishing you know a handful of days out of you know a month and a half of being there but i I take advantage of some incredible inshore fishing some incredible offshore fishing wahoo dorado uh last year the elephant tuna fishing was like fishing it up here i mean we had foamers i mean top water stuff just and when I and I shouldn't even say offshore. In fact, I had <laughs> I had squigs on the boat. I, I I had squigs come down for a few days, and we get around Lazaro, which is the point above Santa Maria Bay, about uh, twenty five miles northwest of Main Entrada there in Magdalena Bay. Uh, we're we were just off of uh, Punta Lazaro, and we're fishing groupers and uh, snappers and and uh, whatever you know yellows whatever we could catch and you know mostly fishing yo-yo and i'm looking i keep looking and i keep seeing these you know, bird schools and a little bit i could kind of see breaking fish 
and ended up in, you know, like, uh, you know, 50, 60 feet of water, just acres and acres of just foam and yellows, a yellowfin, oh. just, just straight yellowfin. It was kind of cool. Cause we get in there and we're, you know, we're all getting, you know, catching these, you know, you know, 25, 30 pound schoolies and just having a ball. And then the next thing we know, we look over and me and Lawrence, you know, squigs from Fishworks. works it's not even processing what's happening, but we're casting into this foamer and it's straight red. And, but oh. we're not even processing it in straight snappers. Oh. Yeah, it was so funny. Wow. <laughs> it's just that snapper. Kubera? Yeah. No, these were uh, the uh, Colorado snappers. Colorado, yeah. yeah. Look very similar. They're very similar, yeah. yeah. And But, God, it's just... That's crazy. It's just so cool down there to have that much time down there, and it's just been a blessing. But one thing that I do, you know, I'm, I may not charter there, but if you own a boat, and a lot of you members from CCA do... Uh, or you know a friend that owns a boat, I am probably the most open book you will ever meet. I want people to have a great experience down there. I will help you set up your transportation. I'll head up, help you set up your fuel. I'll help you set up your Mexican paperwork. I'll help you set up everything. I'll even make sure that you have some common local knowledge down there from me so that you have a good trip. I, I, I offer that to, to perfect strangers that want to go down there. I don't want to exploit Magdalena Bay, but I want the people that, that get the opportunity to go down there and, and fish Mag Bay to have a great experience. And you can ask anybody that's ever talked to me. I will share every bit of information that I've gathered down there. And the only thing I won't give you is a couple of my favorite grouper spots. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Bo- boardroomfishingcharters.com. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. That's how they're going to reach Todd Manser yep. on the boardroom. Yep. Shoot me an email. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That is just so killer. I'm sure a lot of people would love to get you to pick your brain. Um, you know, it, it does look amazing. There's a lot of that Marlin I, I, boil, foamer, like Marlin foamers? I don't feeders. Even, feeders. Big spots of feeders. Yeah, so there you when, go. when we see these big schools of Marlin up on the surface, it's feeders. Uh, when we see a big spot of tuna, of course, you know, it's breaking fish or foamers mm-hmm. uh, or puddlers. Right. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, to give you an example, like, you know, Steve Lasley, uh, Anthony Shea, Bad Company, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they had... Uh, uh, Decker and, and Lance Fien and, Lance Fien yeah. and, and JD and they had a bunch of guys on the boat and, and you know they did over 300 releases in one <laughs> 333, day 333 right yeah, yeah 333 yeah. and they could have done 400 but they didn't have enough bait right so, they had to jump back for yeah, bait yeah. and then and they, they actually had, had the other out. boat come and bring up more bait that's oh, how yeah, that's the Marlin what fishing is wow. down there and 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 the great thing is is we're all down there respectfully fishing it. You know we're trying our best to to you know release these fish. You know back and you know uh, you know as, as as safe and healthy as we can. And and so you know for me you know not I didn't have, I don't have fifteen guys up on the platform and a, <laughs> you know a, a, a one you know over a hundred foot you know a sport fishing boat right. with a bunch of bait. But we uh, we've we've done pretty well. So uh, I had uh, John Bretta, Mark Mills. Uh, Corey Hall, uh, my son, a couple other guys, uh, one day down there and we were, we were, this is going back, gosh, I want to say maybe 2007, 2008. And we were, we were product testing uh, a lot of these reels that today are in the catalog at Akuma and really wanting to just, you know, beat the heck out of them to make sure that we got all the bugs out. 
and we had a 72 fish day. So 72 mm. marlin released. Uh, uh, With no day. gear f- uh, malfunctions. Yeah. Now, cool. now, we had a few. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole point. <laughs> is, 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 to get, is to get the bugs out. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but, like, I had uh, two years ago, I had a 78-year-old guest of ours on the boat catch 12 marlin in 56 minutes. And if you looked at my plotter, it was we did, I never even really moved the boat. It was just one after the other. That's so crazy. Amazing place to visit. Yeah. Well, we hope that, you know, you'll get a lot of business for people that want to get more information about how to get down there. I think that's a, if you're open that up, you're going to hopefully get a bunch of calls. If you guys do want to get down there, uh, Ollie from Bloody Decks, you know, he's got some great, uh, go to BD Outdoors or something, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, know, fished up, get on there, go on to his site. There's, there's, he's got some really good avenues to get down there. And then Bob Hoyt at Mag Bay Outfitters. Uh, you can charter boats through him and get down there. Uh, you can get down there and get on the success if you're lucky and get on a trip uh, with Carrie. You know, there's there's guys down there, you know, that are that are offering trips. Uh, yeah, I think but, the Constitution's uh, offering. Yeah, yeah, the Constitution's offering. Yeah, so there's there's ways to get down there and fish it. Now, getting down there on a six pack, you know, uh, you know, or on a Hatteras uh, on a sport fisher, that's a different story. It's it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Todd, you have an, I mean, an abundance of knowledge about Southern California fishing and all that. And we've already discussed a lot of the history and all that. But all things considered, in your eyes, what's the future of fishing like in Southern California? Well, we need to be uh, proactive. Uh, we need to stick together as a fishing community and and continue to uh, argue our rights, uh, to fish Southern California, because that's one of the biggest things is, is protecting our rights to fish here. As far as our ecosystems and our fisheries go, uh, I see a great future. Uh, you know, we're doing, you know, wonderful things with our management. Uh, we have, uh, conscious minds. Uh, I think, you know, as far as predicting, uh, you know, what type of fish we're going to see and, and when they're going to be here, uh, I'd be paid way too much if I could give that answer. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, but I see sustainability in our fisheries. I really do. You know, and the, 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 the downside to things is that, and I, and I hope I'm not getting, uh, you know, too political on this, but we, we, we get pushed into smaller and smaller areas and we're, we're getting pushed into fishing l- smaller postage stamps along our coast from from you know different types of restrictions and we still have you know the the outskirts of you know millions of square miles of fish that we we don't target because we're not legally allowed to fish there especially with our rock fish you know we can't fish Mm -hmm. you know uh uh, we have to fish shoreward of three miles and 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 so forth uh, we have, you know, a lot of areas where we can't fish our coastlines, uh, and we need to protect what we have. But we also need to 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 bring to the table the fact that when you can only fish a certain area, that they have to acknowledge that that we're we're only fishing this area, and there are a certain amount of people that want to continue fishing there, and don't use it as a weapon against us because you make us fish in such a small area. Uh, understand the facts that in the areas around us, the sustainability and the stocks are still extremely high. And to don't take all the science just from the postage stamp or the pond that we fish. When you start making us fish all in little areas, that little area is going to get more pressure. 
And so, but when you look at the sustainability and the stocks of the fishing areas and the protected areas that we don't fish, it's doing very, very well. So uh, we need to look at that and, and be, uh, 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 you know, ready to, uh, you know, to stand together as a fishing community and, and argue that, you know, we're doing a great job. Fishermen uh, want their grandkids to catch fish. They want their great-great-grandkids to catch fish. So we're stewards of the ocean. We're stewards of the environment. We're the last person that's going to be throwing any litter in the water. We're the last person that allows anything bad to happen to our ecosystems. We're the last people that want to go out there and just destroy uh, a fishery. You know, we're the ones that, that want to see sustainability, and we want to see growth, and we're willing to do what it takes in management to make sure that happens, but we don't want it taken away. And the messaging that you just said is exactly everything that the next generation is wanting to do. We're all very big proponents on getting our grandkids. I'm young. We're sorry. We're old, Chris. Forget (laughs) that. Um, We have to make sure that 40 years from now, there's going to be whatever may be cyclically cyclical or not still around and you know even better hopefully absolutely yeah so. and, and if it means that we you know that we modify our take uh but still allow our sport we're gonna we're gonna have to go there you know we have 28 million people live in southern california right now we can modify modify our take um you know we are we're already working on that with with you know with a certain couple of species I, I don't know if i'm allowed to say anything so i won't so but we're working with some some things to make sure that we have longevity and sustainability and i mean let's face it what i do for a living is a past uh lifestyle i mean it's the fact that i can successfully still do what i do today and you guys can su- successfully do what you do today is a testament of, of how much we love this right and and that should stand out. Uh, you know, I don't sit behind an office desk. And, you know, I'm not that, that guy. You know, I'm a, I'm a fisherman. I'm an mm-hmm. outdoorsman. And I'm protecting my, my environment. There's no other better way, in my opinion, for someone, especially um, that has a background like you, to join CCA. Um, we say it all the time. I don't know if people really understand what that means. But just looking at some of the... Uh, initiatives lately that we've overcome you know ab 3030 we've talked about before in overcoming that at the state level at the senate level um what happened afterwards was you know not really controllable unfortunately and then you know getting to where we position ourselves with the cardboard after this decisions were to you know adjust time time uh um, expectations for the upgrades on their tiers um, for diesel engines. I mean, there there is just a lot going on that I think a lot of people need to understand. We're we're actually doing uh, what we are talking about. The community is absolutely, and certainly foundations that are uh, pro uh, fishing, that are advocates for sport fishing in the future, CCA being one of them, are very important for people to contribute monetarily and then also with time, because you know I'm I'm 32. Uh, I put some time in to be able to get people to be attracted to supporting this event, the events that we put on, and to support fisheries management is the bottom line, and that's what our goal is to do. Um, and uh, I, you know, it's it goes without saying, our community is very large. We have a lot of licenses bought every year. Right. 
it. It's proof that we're a, we are a very big community. And the more people that can come to a, a um, one single thought, the better it is for all of us to be able to go out there and to preach what our fishing gospel, you know? Yep, absolutely. And, and we need support financially as well as mentally. You know, we need everybody on the same page and we need the help. I mean, it's going to... Uh, you know, it take all these things that that happen uh, to benefit fishing. Unfortunately, do sometimes stand on the grounds of financial support. Right. And we need mental and financial support. We need people signing up, and we need people understanding uh, what's at stake. Right. You both hit on something that was super key, and that's really kind of sticking together. Um, you know, we had our, our issue with AB 3030 back in 2020. So two years ago, yeah, we all sat uh, on the phone waiting all day. For right. Day. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There was, did there they was, call my number? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, and the sheer amount of people that were fishing was enormous. Yes, I yes. mean, it was yeah. 300 calls or something. And the majority was a fisherman yeah. of some sort yeah. or a part of the industry. Right. You know, it was impressive. I remember watching the live feed on line and like everyone just for three or four hours straight they were sitting down going in the restroom the the bill sponsor was literally pacing back and forth because right. he didn't even know what was coming uh, but my point being you know with ab 3030 with you know cca leading the charge on that this year with the carb deal with sac leading the charge on that if we come together with groups with support with, with the boats with the landings with the anglers and all that there's really no way that we will there's basically an opportunity, a great opportunity to kind of defeat what's coming down the pipeline sure. or to preserve, you know, the sport that we love. Make Absolutely. better decisions. Yeah. yeah. And that's what the goal is, is whether it's, you know, pro fishing or not, the decision has to be made for a fair um, and open uh, discussion. We have to be able to get our input. Right. You know, we need to be heard. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're how many days are you on the water? It's a uh, lot, right? I mean, I'm probably hitting... Two sixty, probably right in there. Two, two. A lot of Imagine days. how much feedback you know. More, a lot of captains, especially yourself, have to give to people who have no idea what you know. That have maybe ten days on right. the water right. for yeah. studies. Yeah. So, no, that's a good point. <laughs> I bring that up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and even the guys that are only on the water for ten days out of the year, and we tell them about all these issues, and they're like totally like surprised. It was like. What's going on? Really? Seriously? Yeah. yeah. The 10 days that they're out, they're not getting former bluefin right in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. not throwing a bopper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Todd, before we let you go, man, um, how do we get in or how do we get a hold of you? How do we go fishing with you on the boardroom? So uh, you guys can, anybody can send me an email at boardroomfishing at gmail.com. Uh, a boardroom fishing charters, pardon me, at uh, gmail.com, or you can uh, get a hold of me through Dana Wharf Sport Fishing, danawharf.com. You can come down and see me down, Dock One, Dana Wharf Sport Fishing, uh, or you guys can uh, go to the website. And again, I, I'm pointing out, guys, the website is not updated on prices. So uh, I, if you guys want to get accurate pricing, and I'll try to get on that right away, uh, call Dana Wharf Sport Fishing at 496. Pardon me, let me go back. Call Dana Wharf Sport Fishing at 949 496. 5794 extension two. ask for Manny. He'll give you every bit of information you need and get your next trip booked on the boardroom. And would love to see you out there. And you can't miss that boat. It's right out in front. Beautiful. Can't boat. miss it. It's a beautiful boat. You know, it's got those vintage lines uh, and it's got new power. And you know, I've got a, 
CH250 sonar, which, you know, I've used my whole life practically <laughs> since the CH250 came out. Mm-hmm. Well, I used a Westmar 390E for a long time, but, you know, we've got sonar, we've got, uh, uh, you know, bitching electronics, uh, top of the line, everything. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy being on the boat, guys, if you get out with us. Excellent. Kevin, you got anything else, man? As always, it's great to have just great guests. Todd, you are a wealth of knowledge. A lot of people are going to take away so much scientific data away from this. I'm just so happy that you came on this uh, podcast. We do great podcasts every single week. If you want to go ahead and listen to all of them, we have an archive on Spotify and all these other podcast um, venues and these places to go look. Check it out, CCA. Um, Also, become a new member. We're going to have some events Join in your chapter. We have San Diego chapter all the way up to Orange County and beyond. So Ventura, um, we got Inland Empire. So if you're looking for a home and to be able to join part of our community, please join a chapter near you. Get involved and uh, definitely support a banquet. If you've got donations, whatever, we'll just find your chapter and let's hear it. Kevin, you've been putting in some time with that San Diego chapter on that event. That's yes, gonna sir. Fun. We're going to make it a very good event this year. It's going to be, um, we hope that to see everyone there, I think we're going to have about 200 person capacity. So if you're interested, you got to, we're going to have some tickets available and tables. Please join. Um, we're very excited. We're going to have the Anthony Shea Award there being uh, announced. And uh, we're just so excited and happy to have people that are supporting the event down there in San Diego. There's so many people that love fishing and the more people we can bring in to support uh initiatives pro fishing the better and obviously events help support that financially so it's great to be able to see your faces to be able to see you come out you know it's a once a year thing but it doesn't have to be you can join the chapter you can join us and you can see us every single tuesday the second tuesday (laughs) for a public meeting and we'll be happy to see you there yeah awesome guys and that event in San Diego, that's going to be June tw- or June 18th, Saturday, um, 5 to 9 at Portuguese Hall in Point Loma. That's going to be super fun. I think so. Oh, yeah. Tickets are available on cca.california.org, by the way, too. Todd, it was great seeing you, man. Thanks Thank for you me, so guys. much. Yeah, Absolutely. My pleasure. Guys, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Go uh, follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Make sure you download the podcast every week. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And leave us a five-star review as well while you're at it. Thank you so much, and we will see you guys next week. Take care, everyone.